0: Amen. That was lovely, ladies. Rachel, Gloria, and Esther. Thank you very much. As they work their way back to the seats and right before I dismiss Kidsford Union Church, Church, uh, look around. Look around the auditorium. Gabe, how many were in your class this morning? I think we eighteen. Eighteen. Yeah, the Lord's doing something with our younger generation. There's so much in our world that is a mess right now. But the Lord's at work. And be encouraged and blessed by what you witnessed in singing and as you look around and see a church that's not just all of us gray-haired, gray-haired people. And be an encouragement to these under 30 crowd that's with us. That those stand, stand. They... they find themselves in a very difficult world to exist where it seems like everywhere they turn, someone is against them if they're trying to stand for Christ. So be an encouragement to them. Tell them what encouragement is for you just to see them here serving, attending your local church. Amen. Young kids, grades one through six, now's your time to be dismissed to junior church. As we always say, parents, if you wonder what goes on in junior church, you are more than welcome to join them. You might even get a better message today back there than you're gonna get here. (laughs) Amen, I appreciate all of our junior church workers who sacrifice sitting in the auditorium to uh, help corral and teach and pour their lives into children. Praise the Lord. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter nine. Mark chapter 9, victory over doubt. I certainly appreciate and need your prayers this morning. Pastor Bill called me about 3 p.m. yesterday, and um, this is a new message. I'm not, I didn't pull out a message that I'm going to re-preach. This is brand new, and so obviously I didn't get to spend as much time as I normally would put into the details of a message, but this is what the Lord has on my heart. For our church, uh, for myself, this morning. Mark chapter 9, let's read verses 23 and 24. The Bible says Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather in this place this morning. Thank you for the ministry that goes on all throughout this building that's already taken place today. Oh Lord, we need your presence here in this very room, in the, in the fellowship hall, in the nursery, wherever folks are meeting today. Father, I need your help. Lord, I pray that uh, as your word says, it's, it's alive, it's quick, it's powerful, that it would go forth today and do its work in individual hearts. Father, help every one of us, myself included, to to sit here or to stand here this morning and say, Lord, what do you have for me today? Not, I hope so-and-so is hearing this, but what do you have for me? What would you want me to do with what I hear today? Father, again, we love you. We ask your blessing upon this time. May you be glorified and you alone. In Christ's name we do pray, amen. Have you ever struggled with doubt before? Is it wrong to doubt? Is it a sin to doubt? Does doubting demonstrate that you're a weak, immature believer that's on a path that someday you'll arrive at that point where your faith will be so strong that you'll never doubt anything? Do you get nervous when the preacher stands up And you get this feeling in the pit of your stomach when the preacher says something about doubting your salvation. Where you feel overcome with worry and anxiety and doubt. Wondering if you did it right way back when. And maybe you're not really saved after all. Do you ever struggle with doubt like that? If If we're honest, if every one of us is honest, we all know what it is, what it means to doubt. In fact, if you are a native Clevelander or a transplanted Clevelander like myself, almost 40 years here in Cleveland, you're very familiar with the concept of doubt, right? If you're a sports fan, I doubt the Browns will ever make it to the Super Bowl. I doubt the Guardians will ever win a World Series. But all kidding aside, doubt is a very important topic that's before us this morning. And as with many of the messages that I share when I get an opportunity to stand before the church, many of them are born out of my counseling opportunities. And I have a man that I'm currently counseling with right now that has professed Christ for many years. And he's not a member of this church. In fact, I don't think there's anyone in this room that even knows him. But for many years, he has struggled with doubt Am I really saved? Did I do it right? Did I say everything right? Was my heart really in it when I said it? Do I really trust God, even though I say I do? And so we've been working through this uh, topic for a little over a month now, trying to help him answer those questions. I can't answer those questions for him. I can't see into his heart and know what he's really thinking, but I can walk him through the word and provide some counsel and advice and wisdom and things that God has taught me. And so this message is born out of that topic tonight. So back in Mark, let's pick up the rest of the story here and read this passage that uh, included the passage we read before there. Uh, The context of Mark 9, right before we begin in verse 14, is uh, Jesus had been up with James, Peter, and John, and the event that they experienced is what we call the transfiguration and so there, those three disciples with Jeter and with, with Jesus and then Elijah and Moses that appeared as well, they, uh, they were having a mountaintop experience, but down below, a very desperate man seeks out Jesus, finds his disciples, and isn't satisfied with what they're able to do. So let's pick up in verse 14. it says, "And when, he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, what question you with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I speak to thy disciples, that they should cast him out, and they could not. And he answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him, and when he he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. And oft times it cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him, and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore, and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Now, did I pray already? Yes? Some said yes. Okay. All right. I guess we need to pray again. (laughs) Father, make your word come alive. Speak to us. Show us what it is you have for each one of us today. We love you. Thank you for loving us. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Every parent that's here today understands the words that this parent cried out. Who among us has not looked down upon a sick child, felt fear and worry and doubt overwhelm us? I think often it's much easier to be sick ourselves than to be able to see a loved one who is suffering and struggling. But let one of our children suffer and the whole world seems to collapse around us and if the suffering is great as it certainly was in the case of this man who brought his son there's times we can even hardly pray because fear just grips us and overwhelms us and we may may even begin to doubt god his presence his goodness At times we even wonder, has God somehow even abandoned me, abandoned us in this process? Certainly we've all likely said at one time or another, Lord, help thou my unbelief. Lord, I believe, but my heart is filled with doubt. I know you can, but Lord, I'm not sure you will at this point. God, the situation seems so hopeless. Help me to trust you now. So here was the father of this son who was possessed with an evil spirit since childhood. And for years, this spirit had just wreaked havoc in their lives. This child, as we read here, would often throw himself into the fire or into the water. The spirit's effort to try and take this child's life. And sometimes he would become rigid. He would foam at the mouth and when the man, I mean, he, he sought every avenue he knew to possibly go to to try and bring some relief, to bring some deliverance from the torment that this, his son was going through and the family was going through. And so he brings him to the disciples, and the disciples, to his surprise, maybe to our surprise, had no success either. So who can blame him in verse 22 when he says if thou canst do anything, if, as he confronted now with Jesus, if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. That little word, if, it kind of hangs in the air there. It it expresses both faith and doubt intermingled with his father's tortured soul. And so again, for years, he sought help in every place, but he's been greatly disappointed time and time again. Having heard of Jesus and all of the miracles that had been performed and the people had been healed and even people raised from the dead, he seeks out Jesus. And Jesus wasn't around. He was, again, up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And so he found the disciples, but they fail. So, again, who can blame him for doubting? But Jesus' response in this passage is immediate. He says, verse 23, If thou canst believe all things are possible, Him that believeth. The healing that the Father so greatly desired hangs on his own belief. Will he believe? Can he believe? He's been let down so many times before, and from his heart comes the truth, saying with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Several things about his statement just really jump out to me. Number one, he admitted his need. That's very clear in this passage. He admitted it to the right person. Again, that's instructive to us. No matter what need we have, no matter what doubt we struggle with, go to the Lord. He came to the Lord. He sought out Jesus. That's helpful for us to grab a hold of that truth. And then he asked for the help that he needed. He knew he was unable in and of himself to deal with it. So he we went to the one that could help and he said, Lord, Help us. Again, faith is intermingled with doubt here, and yet Jesus performs the miracle anyway. Evidently, faith mattered more than doubt because Jesus did not rebuke the man here for his doubt. He simply heals the boy once and for all. Verse 26 says, And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said he is dead. That's the end. It didn't work. The Spirit has successfully taken his life. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. The boy was healed. If thou can believe, all things are possible. On Friday night, the ladies had a ladies' event here at the church, game night. Chris was asked to share her testimony. And I asked her to come this morning and share just a brief part of that because there was a time when Chris struggled with doubt, where she doubted her salvation, and I wanted her to share how the Lord dealt with her many years ago. First,
1: I want to make a plug for the uh, ladies' events. Um, Every ladies' event that we have, we just have a wonderful time of fellowship, and Friday um, was no different. It was amazing. Um, And isn't it neat how Joan had asked me to share my testimony Friday night, and I did, willingly, and then Steve's message is on the same subject today, and he didn't find out till yesterday, and just how God works in neat ways, but anyway, um, I was given three minutes, so I'm going to talk really fast. <laughs> um, I was fortunate to be raised in a Christian family and was taken to church from the time I was a baby, um, and at that church, the gospel was preached and taught in Sunday school, And I can remember over and over as a little girl asking Jesus to come into my heart because I knew that if I died and I didn't make that commitment, that I would go to hell. And as a little girl, I understood that I did not wanna do that. So over and over and over again, um, I would ask Jesus into my heart. Fast forward a few years till I was a teenager and at a youth group meeting, I remember raising my hand um, for salvation and I realized that I was a sinner and that I needed a savior. and then I asked Jesus to forgive my sins and come into my heart. Went through some discipleship classes um, in my youth group and following that, through my um, high school years, I strived, keyword I strived to do what was right um, in the Lord's eyes. And went off to college, found my first freedom away from home, and I made some poor choices and some decisions that I knew did not honor and glorify the Lord. A good decision I did make while I was in college is that I met this handsome man over here, and uh, the man of my dreams. And in 1988, we were married. And um, we, start, we decided when we came up to Cleveland that we were going to visit a whole bunch of churches and decide where the best fit was for us. Well, wouldn't you know, the very first church that we visited was Columbia Road Baptist Church. And everyone was so friendly here, and we felt so welcome here that we never visited another church. We just felt that this is where the Lord wanted us to be. And so, um, under the preaching of Pastor Jenkins, um, I started to doubt my salvation again because of the poor choices I had made in college. And so, um, in the spring of 1990, um, I came forward and recommitted my life to the Lord. And after that, I was baptized. And you think everything would be settled then. But I can remember many times after that in 1990, 1990, um, we would have an evangelist at church, maybe Bill Sturm or um, other ones that came in, and they would talk about how they had been to churches and either pastors' wives or pastors had gotten saved after they had been in the ministry for a long time. And it was as if Satan sat on the pew right beside me and said, If they weren't saved, are you sure you did it right? Are you saved? Are you sure? What if you're not? And those seeds of doubt were planted in my mind. And so um, I struggled with that for a long time. And even when um, Steve was called into full-time ministry um, in 1998, once the Lord confirmed it in his heart, he was ready to quit his job and walk away that day. And I said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, we have two Young children at, time, at the time, Corey and Tyler, were two and six years old. I said, who's going to support them? Where's the money going to come from? Um, and I wasn't ready. So again, Satan sits down beside me and said, if you were really saved, you would be ready to go into full-time ministry with your husband right now. Um, so I had to work on some things and, and really pray through it. And the realization that I have finally come to and that I stand on is that we always need to go back to God's word. God's word says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I knew I had called on the name of the Lord to be saved. Um, And there are many verses, but I only have three minutes, that I could back up that statement with. But the truth is, when Satan starts to plant seeds of doubt in our mind, we need to go to God's word and we need to stand on his promises because they will not fail us. We can't rely on our emotions, what we're feeling, but we need to rely on God's word.
0: Well, that's a perfect segue into what I wanted to share as we talk about doubt this morning. You know, there are many reasons why people doubt, especially when you consider the topic of doubting your salvation. And Chris even touched on a couple of them. Sometimes as parents, we we preach the gospel to our kids when they're not even able to to walk or talk yet. I mean, they hear it, and and that's good. We should do that. But sometimes kids make professions of faith at a very young age, age four. I, I can't remember anything I did at four years old. And I think many are like that. And so they say, "Well, I, I can't. I'm not sure if I saved because I'm saved because I, I, I can't remember a specific time or a specific place when I received Christ." And uh, that brings doubt. Uh, John MacArthur is a name that many people are familiar with, and uh, he has written in one of his books that he doesn't remember the exact exact date that he was saved because he was so young. He just knows he's a believer. And again, sometimes the, the enemy will get in there and try to Manipulate and work worked out in that, but I was too young to remember is is a common thing that will be Used and even sometimes preachers have said if you don't remember a specific Time and a specific date Then maybe that's a good indication that you've never really been born again, and I would say again We have to have some wisdom and discernment there that can be a very dangerous statement because sometimes uh, With childlike faith at a very early age people come and they trust Christ to save them Another thing that people struggle with while they doubt their salvation is, they say, I didn't follow the proper procedures or I'm concerned, I didn't do it the right way. Uh, I didn't really, did I really know what I was doing? Did did I really believe, did I really trust back then? Did I do it right, follow all the right steps, say all the right words? I did it just because I wanted to avoid hell. Maybe my motive wasn't proper, that sort of thing. I didn't didn't check all the right boxes. So that uh, causes me to doubt salvation. Another reason people struggle uh, with doubt here is maybe there's still a particular sin that's in their life that they struggle with over and over and over again. And there are times, and we'll touch on these momentarily, where the Lord challenges us in his word to examine our faith. And this certainly is one that should get our attention, but sometimes I think it is also an improper understanding of sanctification. Boy, I wish the moment I got saved, I was immediate like Christ I didn't struggle with any of the things that I used to struggle with. But that's not the case. Uh, Chris shared her testimony. You know, She struggled with things that she knew wasn't right, and I did the same when I was in college. And yet, um, the Lord continues to work with us and to grow us. But sometimes people have an improper view of sanctification, thinking that once they profess Christ that all of a sudden everything gets easy and perfect in their lives and it just absolutely is not the case. Perhaps they have a misunderstanding about salvation and the sufficient and complete work of Christ on the cross. They think that it somehow depends on them to keep doing all the right things, again, as Chris made reference to, the things that she strove to do, thinking it is about us and not the finished work of of Jesus on the cross. Or perhaps they struggle because they don't feel saved. They're trying to base everything on this great experience that they had, but things are fleeting. And so I don't feel that way any longer. And the lesson there for us is if feelings are our guide, then we will never have a sure sense of our salvation. Because feelings do change so much. So earlier I asked, is it wrong to doubt? Is doubting uh, the opposite of faith? Well, I'd say first off, no, it's not wrong to doubt. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. And unbelief refers to a willful refusal to believe, while doubt refers to an inner uncertainty. So is is there ever a time when we should carefully consider whether or not we are saved, as we just were speaking about there? And I would say absolutely yes. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 is a very challenging verse for us in this area of doubt, 13 and verse five, the Bible says, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves, know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. So there are times when we should consider that question, am I really saved? And so the first one I would say is if we don't obey God. If you're not obeying God, then you should examine your faith. Look at 1 John 2, uh, chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Again, the Bible is very clear here. It says, And hereby do we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Boy, what a clear test there for us, if if there's ever been any doubt. So uh, when should I seriously ask myself, am I saved? Well, if I don't obey God. Because the Bible says very clearly in 1 John 2 there, that those who are in him keep his words. John 14, 15 says, if ye love me, keep my commandments. There's a major disconnect if we say that we love God, but we do not keep, or at a minimum, struggling desire to obey his commandments. Not to earn favor, but to express our love and our gratitude. If you love me, keep my commandments. As true believers in Christ, we should keep growing as Christians, and the reality is we should sin less. We will not be perfect, we will not be sinless in this world, but we should be moving forward we should be growing on an upward plane and in the process be sinning less as a believer you should never stay where you are you're either moving toward him or away from him secondly i should examine to see if i'm in the faith if i don't live like a believer if i don't live like a believer uh, if you're in first john turn back to or second john turn back to first john chapter 4 Verse 7, the Bible said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into this world, that we might live through him, here in his love, not that we love God, but that God loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins, beloved, of God so loved us we also ought to love one another. Um, actually, that was for a different point that I had down here, that was if you hate your brother. So, I should examine myself if I don't have love for my brother. The Bible clearly tells us in here that we should love our brothers. First uh, John chapter four, verse 20, goes on to say, if a man say I love God and hate his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he, hath, whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loved God loveth his brother also. So if you hate your brother, that should cause us to take pause and say, am I really saved? Am I, have I really ever been born again? So again, earlier, if you don't live like a believer, James 2 is what I meant to say. So turn your Bibles to James chapter 2. Verse 17 through 20 says, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, man say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? So if you don't live like a believer, if there's no evidence that uh, you truly have been born again, that should cause us to, to stop and pause and say, okay, Lord, did I really trust you? Did I really get saved back then, whenever that was? And then the last thing I would say here, an area that we need to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith, is if you have no desire to honor God. If you have no desire to honor God with your life, that's an indication that maybe I'm truly not born again. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them or are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Are you walking in the power of the Spirit? Desiring to please God? To live for Him? To bring glory to His name? If you have no desire to honor God with your life, that should be a major red flag to us. So let me bring you to three tests of salvation. Three tests of salvation. How do I know that I I really am saved, that I really have been born again? And so maybe again you're here and you've struggled with this whole idea of doubt in the past. Here are three questions you can ask yourself. And I challenge you to write these down because you probably want to come back to them at some point. The first one is very simple. It's called the test of history. And here's the question. Have I ever called on Jesus to save me? Have I ever called upon the name of Jesus to save me? Can you pass this test? The fact is that if you can say yes, I have asked Jesus to save me, it's enough to mark this one off and move on to the next one. So the test of history. Secondly, the test of experience. Have you demonstrated growth in Christ? Is there evidence that you are different than you once were? Do you see places where you have grown as you look back over the course of your life, since that point in time where you said, I bowed my knee and I trusted Christ to save me? What would others say? What would your family say? What would your friends say? Have they noticed a difference? How has your life been different since receiving Christ as your savior? The test of experience, have you demonstrated growth in Christ? Not perfect, not arrived. Again, you've heard me say, I've been saved 49 years this year. I am not yet like Christ. Which means I have changing and growing still yet to do in my life. But by God's grace, I'm moving forward. I desire to become more like him. Test of experience. And then thirdly, if you've passed those two tests, the third test is the test of theology. And this comes back right to what Chris said. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Can you say, I am saved because I have put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ based on what the Word of God says? So what does the Word of God say? We're going to move through this very quickly. So jot these verses down. You may want to go back to them and be challenged and helped by them again. First off, Romans 5.1. And many of these are, are familiar to us, but again, can you pass the test of theology? What does the Bible say about my salvation? Romans 5.1 says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified by faith. Ephesians 2.8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's all of God, it's not of me. I can't do enough good things to earn God's favor. It's all based on what Jesus Christ did on the cross. John 3.36 he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Boy, that verse is either great news or it's really bad news. And the Bible says clearly, He that believeth on the Son hath life. Can you pass the test of theology? I believe and I take God at his word about what he says about my salvation. How about Romans two ten thirteen? 13? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How about 1 John 5, 11 through 13? I love this. And this is the record that God hath given unto us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know... That you have eternal life. That you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Aren't you glad that God put that verse in the Bible? No one can know. Well, the Bible says we can know. The Bible says very clearly we can know. These things have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. How about John five twenty four? Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and should not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Colossians 2, 13, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. We are declared saved when we embrace these truths. Declared not because of us or what we've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for us and what the word of God has recorded and preserved and reinforced for us in his word. Declared forgiven of sin, declared free of condemnation because of what Jesus Christ has done. Do you pass the test of theology, the test of history, the test of experience, the test of theology? Do you believe what the Bible says about salvation? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? and him alone to save you from your sins. Well, how do we have victory over doubt? Whether it's doubting our salvation or some other aspect of our faith in Christ, I asked the question earlier, is it sinful to doubt? And I would say, doubt, doubting is not sinful, but it can be dangerous. And so how do we have victory over this? Well, the first thing is call on Christ for salvation if you've not been born again and take him at his word. The words that I read here are not the words of Steve Williams. They are the very words of God that he has given to us to give us assurance of the faith that we put in his blessed son. I'd say, secondly, define victory correctly. Victory is not lack of doubt. It's not a lack of doubt, but it's when I doubt, do I respond properly? When I doubt, do I respond properly? Well, what does that look like? Well, number, th- number three, control your thoughts. Change them. Put off, put on. You can change what you're thinking. Some have a knee-jerk reaction. say, so, I can't help what I think. It just pops into my brain. No, you can change what you're thinking. The Bible is very clear on that. Write down Philippians 4.8. Go back and look at that later. Memorize scripture. Some of these verses that I shared here need to be so hidden in your heart that when the enemy comes and says, you didn't really mean what you said way back when, you can say, no, I believe this. I trust what God's word says, not on how I feel, not on the attack of the enemy, the weakness of my flesh. Memorize scripture. Again, I've given you several. Hopefully you've written some of those down. Apologize, in the late hour, I wasn't able to put together an outline that normally we'd have up on the screen to do this. Number four, again, having victory over doubt. Admit your doubts and ask for help. Admit your doubts and ask for help. The father in Mark 9 admitted his doubt, and he went to the one who could help him. Learn from that example. Our God is a big God. He can handle your doubts. He can handle your fears, your worries, your anxieties, your unanswered questions. Your doubts will not upset him. So tell him your doubts. Cry out to him and ask for help. I love where Psalm 62 challenges us, verse eight I think it is, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Ask others for help as well. This man has come to me as a biblical counselor and says will you help me process this doubt that I'm doing because I need to know for certain that I've been born again. And we're doing that together. Number five, recognize that faith is a choice. It's not a feeling, faith is a choice. You know, it's easy to feel like you have faith when everything is going well. You've got money in the bank, relationships are strong, your health is good, your career is moving forward. But what happens when those things change? What happens when you find out you have cancer? Or maybe even worse yet, a loved one, a child, a spouse has cancer. Will your faith be strong or will it be overcome by doubt? Faith is a choice. Sometimes we believe based on what we see. Other times we believe in spite of what we see. Get a hold of that. There are times when we can't see, but we choose to believe what we know to be true. Number six, act on your faith, not your doubts. Act on your faith not your doubts. If you're a believer and you still doubt at times, you're in good company. John the Baptist, Peter, Thomas, Moses, Abraham, David, Job, Elijah, Joshua, Daniel, Jonah, I could go on and on. You can find very clear examples in each of those patriarch's lives where their faith wavered and they doubted, they had questions for God, they didn't understand. But each one of them, if you continue reading the rest of their story, you see where, in essence, they take a deep breath, they decide to trust God, and they act on their faith and not their doubts. Do the same, and your faith will grow stronger. When I was struggling with the call to the ministry some 25 years ago, there was a, an evangelist who's long since in heaven, was in heaven already when I listened to some of his messages and read some of his books. He said this, and it was so profound in my life. It was Manly Beasley. He said, faith is acting as it's so when it's not so in order for it to be so because God said it was so. That's not name it claim it. That is believing, taking God at his word and acting as it's so when it's not so in order for it to be so because God said it was so. And the leaf of my Bible here, Mark 9, the passage you read earlier, I have the words that Pastor Jenkins shared in the message. He said, faith is believing God can do it, doubting God will do it, but stepping out in the faith and not holding back in the doubt. Again, that's, that's a phrase that stuck with me for decades now that's so helpful in my life. Act on your faith, not your doubts. Here's one, doubt your doubts. Doubt your doubts, not your faith. Doubt your doubts, not your faith. Basically, don't slip away because you find yourself in the deep valley of darkness. Have you been there? Are you there now? If you're not there now, I can guarantee you at one point you'll find yourself there. When you find yourself in a valley where everything seems uncertain and you're tempted to give in to your doubts, your fears, your worries, remember two small words. Listen to this. Keep walking. Keep going. Don't stop. Our Sunday school, we say, one foot in front of the other, big boy. Another step. One step at a time. Every step forward is a way to doubt your doubts. Soon enough, the light will shine again. Amen? Soon enough, the light will shine again. Number eight. Embrace the fact that there are some things that you'll never understand this side of heaven. So embrace that fact. There are some things that you will just never understand this side of heaven. Why did this happen? Why did this happen to my spouse? Why did this happen to my kids? Why did this happen now? Those are hard questions of the heart. And the reality is that quite often those answers will not come until we get to heaven. It builds our faith to say I understand that I won't understand this right now. And I embrace that reality. And then the last thing here again, Chris said this as well. She could have put this outline together. Keep going back to what you know to be true. That's why I share these very familiar verses. Keep going back to what you know to be true. Look at Romans 8, the end of Romans 8. Apostle Paul, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, put these words down. And I love this. Paul had a challenging life as a believer, one who stood for the faith. Verse 38 says, For I am persuaded. Are you persuaded this morning? For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you feel secure when you read that? We are secure in the love of God, and nothing shall be able to separate. Paul was persuaded of that. Are you persuaded? As I've grown older and hopefully gotten a little wiser over the years, there are a number of truths that have been solidified in my life, truths that are rock solid, that are unshakable, that I no longer have much doubt about. Again, I realize I'm further along than many in this room. Among these are the truths, we talked about this in Sunday school this morning too, God is good. God is good. What an unshakable truth that is in my life. Life is short. As I get closer to the finish line, it's getting shorter, obviously, but life is short. Every day is a gift. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Every day is a gift. People matter more than things. People matter more than things. Don't let your life be about the accumulation of things. It's empty. This world is not my home an unshakable truth. I'm just passing through. I look forward to the day when I either hear the trumpet or I breathe my last breath and wind up in the presence of my great Savior. Even the hard times are meant for my good, for my benefit. The Lord knows. He allowed me to go through it. He's teaching me something working together for good. God is sovereign. He is God. I am not. Profound, huh? (laughs) He's sovereign over all the details of my life and I can trust him with every aspect of my life, even when they don't make sense and seemingly spinning out of control. Well, as I wrap things up this morning, I wanna challenge you to go all in with Jesus. Go all in with Christ. There comes a time when we have to decide to go all in about what we believe. Now, I realize that it may not be best to use a gambling illustration in church this morning, but it's what I've got. And so I I learned this from Jim and from Ed and from Marvin. (laughs) In poker, you can't hold your cards forever. At some point, you have to make a stand. Right? 49 years ago, at the age of 11, I went all in with Jesus. I took a stand as an 11-year-old boy that Jesus Christ is the son of God that he went to the cross to pay my sin debt because I deserved hell. I thought I was a good boy, I was nowhere near good, certainly not according to God's standard. So I went all in on Jesus, that he died on the cross to pay my sin debt, that he rose from the dead on the 3rd day, that he ascended into heaven, that he is the Lord of the universe. And that someday he'll take me home to heaven. Have you went all in with Jesus? Have you went all in with Jesus? Let me ask it this way, and this may be a harsh question for some of you. If you died today, would you end up in heaven or hell? And if heaven, why? Can you answer that? Well, I think I'd be—I think I'm all right. I think I'm a good person. I've done more good than bad. According to what we just read in God's Word, I know I'm going to heaven because that's a deep question, and that's one. If you don't know the answer to today, I challenge you to get that settled. My office used to be in that little building there in the driveway. The prayer chapel. I was in there ten years, and then the amount of times I'd be sitting in the office, and I'd hear this loud crash up here on Columbia Road. Someone pulling out of the apartments or the curves on Columbia Road, which are pretty extreme, especially in bad weather. At least a dozen times, I heard a very loud crash. You know, if you've been in an accident, you know the crash I'm talking about. It's uh, it gets your attention, and I'd go out and find out what was going on. Uh, not a single one of us is guaranteed tomorrow. Life is short. You never know what's gonna happen just right here outside of the driveway of the church. It's a busy driveway when we try to leave here all at the same time. Are you ready to meet God? There is no plan B. I'm a planner, I'm a business major. I went to business grad school at Cleveland State for four years. I'm a planner by nature. There is no plan B. I am all in with Jesus. Are you all in? The last thing I'll say as we wrap up here, God never turns a doubter away. God never turns a doubter away. Never go to him with your doubts, your skepticism, your unbelief, your hard questions, your sincere uncertainties. He welcomes difficult questions and he will not turn you away. Will you come to him today? And straightway the father of the child cried out and said, with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Let me ask you to bow your head, every head bowed, every eye closed as Chris and Jim come and prepare for the time of invitation. Have you gone all in with Jesus? If you died today, would the Savior be ready to meet you, be in his presence for all eternity because you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you don't know the answer to that question, let me challenge you not to leave here without getting that settled. It's a simple thing, really it's so simple many miss it we think it's up to us somehow to earn god's favor when it was jesus that came and lived that perfect sinless life went to the cross to pay my debt i'd broken every one of those commandments i had as crazy as that sounds i hated my brother which the bible says the same as murder actually my brother was my sister for those of you that know there are times Just got so angry with her. And the Lord showed me as an 11-year-old boy that I was guilty. But it didn't stop there. Preacher wanted to say, Jesus Christ paid my sin debt. So I walked the aisle of that old church, Hawthorne Elementary School in Columbus, Ohio. And I said, Pastor Harry, I need to be saved. I'll be standing down here momentarily as Jim begins to sing. People may come to pray. Maybe you, you want to bring a doubt and you want to leave it on the altar and say, Lord, I'm... I'm not gonna be held back in this anymore. I'm gonna choose to believe what I know is true and I'm gonna step out in faith and not hold back in the doubt. Some may be coming to to give that over to the Lord. Maybe you need to come and say, Brother Steve, I'm not saved. I don't know how to answer that question. I can't pass the test of salvation. I have doubts. Would you help me? And we'll find someone who can take the Bible and show you what the Word of God says about how you know that you can be born again, forgiven of your sin, given an eternal home in heaven. A renewed purpose in your life, a purpose that has meaning, you can go all in for Jesus. Father, thank you for our time. I do pray you would bless this moment of invitation. May your will be accomplished. May you be glorified through it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you'd stand, please. Lifted in Calvary.